Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, and we are keeping score, navigating our way through business, law, marketing, deal-making in a $1.3 trillion sports business. Unprecedented challenges face us, but we will continue to report on a regular basis, plus deal-making, tech, and power of sports minutes, as usual, as the business requires, frankly. First, deal-making, 3-1. to one. Number three. In the midst of the new tournament cancellations and postponements worldwide caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, the LPGA announces a new partnership. The longest-running pro-women's sports organization in the world announced a new partnership with Ogletree Deacons, one of the largest labor and employment firms in North America. The partnership focuses on the LPGA's Women's Empowerment Day, which emphasizes leadership, self-discovery, and the art of communication. Women's Leadership Days, which foster and create business relationships by providing an exclusive and emerging forum for like-minded pro-women. The relationship a nice complement to the year-long relationship with Group 1001, Indie Women in Tech, Stuff, and Gamebridge LPGA at Boca Rio. STEM, Leadership, Empowerment, in addition to world-class golf, that's number three. Number two, the NBA could pay less than full player salaries after April 1. They plan to deliver players their full salaries due on April 1, but left open the possibility of recouping future salaries for canceled games on April 15, according to a league memo shared with teams on Friday. The league is leaving itself financial flexibility based on force majeure in the CBA, according to ESPN. If the NBA exercised the force majeure to reflect missed games now, the league could pay the players later if those games are made up during a later resumption in play. The NBA plans to inform teams and players ahead of April 15 about the league's intentions. The teams are still receiving payments from broadcast partners, even though games are on hold, according to Bloomberg. Keeping TV money flowing is a lifeline for NBA teams, which are fast losing revenue from parking concessions and tickets. The NBA's broadcast contracts expire after the 2024-25 season, which is significant because value lost networks reportedly must be made up over the life of the deals. The exact value has to be negotiated and could include additional games or more advertising inventory. That's number two. Number one, while the networks take a hit, Americans are staying home during the coronavirus outbreak, and this could lead to an almost 60% increase in the amount of media they watch, according to Nielsen. In addition to tuning in to coronavirus media, viewers are looking for ways to pass the time, and noted Nielsen, understanding and potentially hedging ad and media investments could help buoy any shrinking margins, build awareness for public health messages, and maybe even get consumers' worried minds off a threat through the power of entertainment. Nearly 25% increase in cable news viewership can be traced to coronavirus news and political news coverage, according to data and measurement company Alfonso. The league started with COVID-19 news and further boost from political events. The data from Alfonso says all of these events, like the Trump acquittal, U.S. primary, Iowa caucus, Super Tuesday, uh, was nearly as much as Super Bowl Sunday. Now, 
household, adults, and children turned to media consumption for information, entertainment, and education, leading media measurement analysts to predict that March month-end media consumption numbers across all TV and digital platforms could reach an all-time high. That's our focus. The bad is the no live sports and what's the world going to do. The good is all of the networks realize how important streaming is and all of the other networks take a giant front seat. Enter Nathan Lindbergh, Senior Director of Global Sponsorship Sales for Twitch. He's the Senior Director at Twitch for a while and responsible for sponsorship sales for elite esport leagues, Rocket League Championship, Capcom Pro Tour, Tekken World Tour, and Magic, the Gathering Grand Prix, as well as esports organizations like Team Liquid, Evil Geniuses, etc., etc. He created at Curse Media and VP of Sales and sold team and league sponsorship packages for the company's esports division. And before joining Curse, he worked at GamePro Media, IDG Entertainment, Universal, McCann, where he worked front and center with live streaming, mobile, and other emerging media. BS from Ithaca College, but a practical expert in the field, and certainly no one more qualified to talk about some of the things that are happening today than Nathan Lindbergh. Sports Professor Riccaro inside the boardroom, beyond the scoreboard, Nathan Lindbergh, Senior Director, Global Sponsorship Sales for Twitch, knowing the way companies create titles. You do everything at Twitch, right? I mean, it's not just the global sponsorships. <laughs> you are Twitch. Tell us what tell us what your job really is and what you do. Oh, we have to em- embrace a lot. Um, yeah. you know, as, as a growing company, there's there's never a time where you only do one thing. Um, but we're in a really lucky spot, right? Uh, you know, we broadcast uh, live content on our platform. We have over three million channels. Um, some of that stuff is is every you know every man and woman doing uh, their thing, yeah. uh, whether that's playing games, whether that's cooking, whether that's exercising, uh, just chatting even. Um, so we do you know we do kind of all of that stuff. We help a lot of people monetize different products. On the sponsorships team specifically, my job is to is to work with with IP and rights and to and to monetize those rights. So whether that's uh, live events that Twitch does, like our TwitchCon assets, uh, our first party products like Twitch Rivals. Um, all the way down to all the third-party stuff that happens on our platform, whether it's esports teams, leagues, um, all the way down to the influencers themselves. Uh, our job is to help brands, I, not just not just uh, you know credibly, but really you know from a, a an altruistic perspective, connect with an eighteen to thirty-four year old audience and provide uh, a really substantive brand message uh, and brand connection for these for these folks. I don't mean this negatively at all because I'm kind of jealous. But you're a young guy, and I've young been enough. in the business. I've been in the young enough. I've been in the business f- 50 years, so I have some perspective on this one. When you get your BS in sports media at Ithaca College, did you have any idea that this piece of the business would morph so quickly as it has today? No, I'm very fortunate. Um, Bob Iger is another distinguished mm-hmm. Ithaca alum, um, and I've heard a couple of his graduation speeches that are very poignant about uh, not letting the 22-year-old you determine your future. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say that that for me is something that, you know, I was someone that went to Ithaca, got a great background in sports information, marketing, PR, all those different tools. Um, and when I went home after class, what did I do? I played video games. Yeah. And little was I or my parents aware that that was going to help me with a career down the road. Um, but I've been very fortunate that you know the the intersection of my two passions of sports and and video games turns out to be esports, an area that I can work in and have a salary and support a family with. And and that's something that you know I think 
certainly 22-year-old me wouldn't have thought of, and definitely 12-year-old me wouldn't have thought of it, uh, which is interesting now because 12-year-olds are thinking, hey, I want to be the next you know, eSports superstar as opposed to being the next NBA player. Those of us who were parents of wannabe athletes, which is everybody, mm-hmm. we put the uh, football in Todd Marinovich's left hand, right? That's now right. we put the uh, computer or the iPhone in your left hand yeah. for the hopes that things happen uh, quickly. What's the tipping point? Uh, can you point back in the last five, six years how this all happened at an accelerated rate? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is, you know, a distribution is obviously a really important part of these things. And so I think, you know, when you know, if we're sitting here talking and I have this bottle of water, if I knock it over, right, and it spills and, like, all the little droplets kind of go all around the table, like, we'll just kind of ignore it and we'll just go on with our day, right? right? right. Um, but if it all pulls together in the middle of the table and creates this huge puddle... We have to deal with it, right? And that's really what happened when uh, Twitch and Own3D and some of these initial live streaming platforms came on the on on the scene in 2014, 2013. Um, you, know, you had this situation where now people could watch the StarCraft World Championships from anywhere in the world, right. right? Esports all of a sudden had a global distribution platform that connected all these little nascent communities all around the world all together into one big audience number. And that big audience number is what gets pundits and what gets media companies really excited, right? It's like, oh, hundreds of millions of people yeah. here. Like, uh, that, that grabs headlines. And that's really the difference. I mean, esports has been around since, you know, the initial Space Wars competition at Stanford University in, like, 1979, yeah. right? The, the first place for that was a year subscription to Rolling Stone. Yeah. You know, this year at the International that, that competes in Dota 2, the top team took home 40% of... $28 million, $30 million. So I, was the, I was the Pong champion at Northwestern Underground. Oh, Does that count? Yeah, Does absolutely. That count? No. <laughs> you're early just goat. Early, early goat. Early goat. Yeah, early goat. Right. yeah right. Exactly. But uh, so what's the tipping point as far as the mainstream sports industry? Adam Silver stands up and says, these are athletes. We're going to draft. We're going to create a league. Uh, how did that all happen? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, you know, all these leagues are businesses, right? Yeah. And when you look at your business... And so much of your enthusiasm and brand support is around the fact that you have a really great relationship with 18 to 34-year-olds yeah. because that's you know, the young brand consumer. Uh, you need to make sure that you still have that connection. And for a lot of sports leagues, that age, if you look at their average age, it's gone up dramatically over the last kind of 15, 20 years. And so where's the answer? Where's the new opportunity? And we're seeing that with esports. And that's why Adam Silver is doing that with the NBA 2K League. That's why the NHL is doing it. That's why the NFL is doing it with, uh, with Madden and the pro series that they have there. Um, all of these leagues understand that the audience that they need to get is younger. And the way to do that is not only to connect with video games, but also to connect with new platforms that have content the way that users want it. And on Twitch, you have a really unique experience where not only can you watch content, but you can communicate with the actual broadcaster and the other people watching it. And to the, to the fullest extent, you actually can have an impact on what you're watching. Yeah. And so it's a really revolutionary style of, of, of entertainment that we call multiplayer entertainment to play on multiplayer games. Um, nice title. Right. Yeah. And marketing team is very good. Yeah. And right. I think that for us, you know, it's that's table stakes now for the next generations of consumers, right? Gen Z, that's table stakes. Yeah. You have to have that environment. And that's why you're seeing you know, businesses struggle a little bit with connecting with audiences at a younger age on linear platforms. And so I think it's a twofold, right? Gaming and esports is an answer, but also different types of live entertainment is an answer. I think that's where Twitch has this 
really unique spot where we get to kind of sit in between of we've got gaming, we've got esports, but also now we're seeing the NBA's G League on our platform, the National Women's Hockey yeah. League. Uh, we're seeing sports come to our platform and find a home, uh, which is really, really exciting. Who codifies and organizes the esports Wild West? Look in the crystal ball four years, five years from now. Is it the companies? Is it the leagues? Is it the sponsors? Who is it? I mean, it, it really starts and ends with the game publishers. Um, okay. You know, they're the ones that own the, the IP rights. Um, it's funny. I've been making this joke to kind of help people understand how much power the I, the IP rights holders have mm -hmm. in esports by saying like, oh my gosh, imagine if I started a new golf league tomorrow, and now there's a new golf league yeah. starting tomorrow, yeah. and it, now it's further articulated right. my point. Yeah. But in the world of esports, you know, game publishers own the IP rights of these games, and so it is on them at the end of the day to really decide how much they want to be a part of it, how much they want to run, and that runs the gambit. Folks like uh, Activision Blizzard, Riot, very hands-on, very in, you know, concerned with you know, who does what with their leagues. Justifiably so, they're some of the best in the world. Yeah. Valve, on the other hand, very hands-off. Let's let the community do what they want to do. Let's let them build the things that they want to do, and we'll see how it goes. So and, uh, I, yeah. I think that to, to, to that perspective, I'm not sure there'll ever be a one-size-fits-all esports solution. And in reality, just like with sports, different leagues and different genres of games are going to have different solutions. And so the leverage that I'm trying as an old school guy try to figure out is, for example, Thomas Bach and the IOC, there will be esports in the Olympics. The question is what game controls where you don't have people cutting each other's heads off mm -hmm. with eight-year-olds watching. So how does that all play out? It's really difficult. Um, and as someone who took a number of classes on Olympic theory and, and, yeah. and just and some of these, you know, these classes in school, we really looked at you know, and talked about what is the value of, of the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, it is a celebration of peak physical performance. Yeah. And so it, you're, you're making a large pivot there. And I think that's okay. And I think you can do that. But at the same time, you know, maybe the world of esports doesn't need some things. Maybe it doesn't need the Olympics. Maybe it doesn't need um, the NCAA. Maybe it doesn't need some of those things because it has Activision and Riot and those guys who are massive multi-billion dollar companies pushing them forward as well. I do think that there's a tremendous asset to be able to do uh, to work in concert with the IOC because they've built an infrastructure yeah. and a business that is incredibly powerful. Um, There's also some credibility attached to totally, it. Totally. But yeah. they've got to figure out how they're going to attach yeah. credibility and, and what game works, works yeah. the best. And that's really difficult because on the surface, a game like Street Fighter could look very bad, right? People punching and kicking each other, people wearing, you know, no shirts or really tight outfits. But then you, what you realize is that like every character is equal and they're all balanced against each other, which means the male characters and the female characters are just as strong as each other, which yeah. means they can beat each other. Any, yeah. Like you can get to levels of depth with these games that doesn't show itself on the surface that I think makes it really difficult as well, right? If you look at the UFC and you say, it's just a bunch of people beating each other up, right? You're missing out on a lot of the nuances yeah, and are. a lot of the, the depth of what that sport has to it, and you're doing it a disservice. Right. And so I think if, if gaming is ever going to get to the Olympics, ever going to get to that level, it's going to have to figure out how it can find the right eSport title that has a really welcoming you know, front, kind of top-line look and feel, but then has the depth that keeps people excited and attached to it. I don't even know if that game has been invented yet, and it maybe doesn't have to be. Well, and maybe there's a whole group of people 
working in Geneva right now to try to figure that out yeah. from the Olympic Committee. And, and I know they are, right? They're got, trying to figure that out. They've got great supporting partners like Intel and stuff like that who are making yeah. a really big effort on this. And I, yeah, I do. I think that there's, I think there's a huge upside there. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of work to do. So finally, tell me how you monetize from a mainstream corporate sponsor perspective. Do we see traditional brands getting involved in this world? Yeah, I mean, some of my biggest partners are AB InBev, um, McDonald's. Uh, you know, the brands that you would expect would be in the world of sports are now in the world of esports. Uh, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola. Uh, if, if your customer is 18 to 34 year old, you got to figure out what you're doing. Um, and so it depends. Every brand has a different choice of how they want to get into the space and how they want to make connections. Um, Twitch is very fortunate in the fact that we have access to a lot of IP and a lot of opportunity. And so that gives us an opportunity to help each brand find its own particular way. Uh, Hershey's, for example, last year, we helped them get into a partnership with an esports team with a couple of big influencers and you know, an exper- experiential activation at our TwitchCon event. And then they bought a lot of media to help to promote the overall value there. So, again, I think it's lucky that we're able to help give everyone a, a, an opportunity to, to spend in the space. But, um, you know, any brand that is out there trying to reach 18 to 34 year olds and haven't been in esports yet, uh, they likely will be soon. There's the clarion call for sponsorship activation, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now let's finally talk about venues, if you don't mind. You know, years ago, we were looking in the old facility development world about how you maximize public dollars and investment on getting people to go to events. Then you have the mayor of Arlington, Texas, building a facility that's basically for esports with public money. Where is that all going? Yeah, I had I had I had uh, dinner with him last year at one of the uh, like mayor events. Yeah, yeah, great great person, great individual, incredible excitement and, and forethought on this. Um, you know, I think that they, it, there's a huge opportunity in building these facilities. Um, obviously, they have a little bit of a different requirement to them. Inf- in internet infrastructure being the mm-hmm. most important, right. both wireless and wired in. Um, but you're you're looking at an opportunity where not only can you create something for single standalone events or you know, continuous events like a like a regular season or something like that. But more importantly, you have an opportunity where you can have daily interactions and daily opportunities there, right? You can create a place that's kind of almost like a a hybrid of a playground and a stadium. Yeah. And you can have this ability where you can have people there 300 days out of the year, right, broken out into, what, 17 different styles of events and different monetization uh, opportunities. That's a really great look and feel. And I think a lot of these folks are trying to l- realize how they can do that. I think it starts with high-tier esports content, bringing live events to their venue and stuff like that. But then you have to have something else, right? You have to have that long tail. And I think a lot of these folks are looking at it and saying, listen, let's create an opportunity where people want to come here every afternoon, every weekend, right? To, to train, to practice, just to have fun. Uh, it's really a way of turning, you know, uh, you know, Cowboys Stadium into, you know, Cowboys pickup lot, right? And this idea of like, not only can you come and practice and play where the pros play, but you can do that and be there on a, on a daily basis, which I think is really neat. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Lindbergh is not just happy with being a Twitch founder and executive and, and his deal, but now he's Urban Planner. And all of a sudden, it's facilities all over the world. I will tell you one thing. The Sports Industry Network and Career Conference here at George Washington University, Nathan is at a central casting. He's wearing an outfit that some people would salute, thinking it's a flag. Other people would run a thousand miles away from it, scared. Bottom line is, it fits perfectly. The esports industry is in perfect hands with you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
You will hear more about Nathan. You will hear more about streaming. But let's talk about the top tech minute and why not. How about as major networks go silent? It is esports. And Chief Executive Officer of Esports Data Platform Grid said there will be roughly 55,000 pro sports competitions this year through the major titles, an average of more than 1,000 a week. Even the NBA's Phoenix Suns are embracing esports. Team said last Thursday they would be playing the remainder of their games not on a court, but in the 2K Virtual League. The matches will be aired on the streaming service Twitch. And while esports has not been totally effect- unaffected by coronavirus, the industry may be an even bigger asset going forward in sports betting and media networks. Obviously, Nathan's point. Formula One and professional drivers switching to esports from competi- competitions during the pandemic. All-Star Esports Battle. And even Dale Earnhardt Jr. got in on the festivities to close the night. Limited social interaction is having the sports world going virtual. It's esports and all aspects of it that may be the clear winners over time. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Welcome into the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Horo. I'm Mitch Reams from the Esports Network. Formula One is showing what esports can bring to traditional sports leagues. The Australia Grand Prix and Bahrain Grand Prix were cancelled, but made up digitally in the video game F1 2019. Organized by Veloz Esports, the event featured a big group of professional drivers, including McLaren's Lando Norris. They were joined by pro players in the F1 video game and other athletes like Real Madrid keeper Thibaut Courtois. The race topped online streaming charts, despite a packed weekend of other esports events. After the Australia event, Formula One got involved for Bahrain and made the event official, bringing in professional golfers, Olympic cyclists, and even a member of the boy band One Direction. This weekend is the Vietnamese Grand Prix, and the event is poised to continue climbing in popularity. F1 is showing the model that many sports leagues could adopt to use esports to make the best out of the complicated COVID-19 pandemic. That's all for the Esports Minute. Back to Rick Horo. Finally, the power of Sports Minute in this world, it is give back and continue to give back. Each MLB team contributes a million dollars to their ballpark game day employees. Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer called and created a sandlot game, donated proceeds to stadium workers. Cubs outfielder Jason Hayward donated 200 grand to local charities during the COVID-19 outbreak. In their coronavirus aid efforts, Russell Wilson and Ciara kept it local in Seattle. According to 247 Sports, he said he would Twitter uh, with his wife and pledge a million meals to a Seattle local food bank. And Falcons quarterback and wife Matt and Sarah Ryan donated hundred grand to the Atlanta-based charities, according to WSB Atlanta. And many food industry workers and lower-income-level jobs will see reduced hours or their jobs completely lost during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Ryans have helped to give food to the local community during a time of crisis and uncertainty, certainly to be congratulated. But not only them, but everybody in the sports business who is going the extra mile, paying facility employees, doing their own thing. It is a time of need when people understand how important the sports business is and those participants really do shine. Another great Power Sports Minute. Well, that's our show for this week, but rest assured, it's just the beginning of covering this 
horrendous pandemic from a number of different perspectives in the sports and entertainment business. We would like to thank Nathan Lindbergh for giving us some perspective, and we'd like to thank you all for joining us, and join us next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.